Please enjoy this talk given at the Austin Center for Spiritual Living, where we live and teach the principles of science of mind and spirit. For more information, visit austincsl.org. The theme uh, this morning is to express your creativity. And I want to start with a little quotation that comes from a very well-known person, a very controversial person, long gone now, said, you say I started out with practically nothing, but that isn't correct. We all start with all there is. It's how we use it that makes things possible. That was said by Henry Ford. And a lot of people think of him as being kind of a cold-hearted businessman. He did some tremendous things, and he was kind of a cold-hearted businessman. But you know, he recognized, as so many people do that are great successes in life, that everything that we have is already here within us. We all start with all there is. It's how we use it that makes things possible. How we express our creativity. And that's what we're talking about here. You know, a lot of us have a great deal of resistance or we have a lot of concepts about ourselves that keep us inhibited from really expressing what's down deep within. Um, I, I love the comment that was made by Helen Keller where she said, life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. Think about that. What does that mean to you? It's either a daring adventure, that is, stepping out, being on the very edge, looking always to something that is new and different, to which you may have to accommodate, but if you're not willing to do that, life doesn't amount to a whole lot. I look back at my own life, and it's the only one that I have really, really, really an intimate connection with, and even then sometimes I'm not sure of what all it means. But I look, I look back at my own life and I, I see this young kid who was afraid of so much, who was gangly and clumsy and inept and immature. And I, I started school much too early. They should have waited until I was 20 before I started kindergarten. <laughs> but, but really, I was not academically mature and so I was always just a little bit behind. And I, I grew up with not a lot of encouragement in my family, wonderful, wonderful parents, but not a lot of encouragement on, on the side of learning things and, and growing and being very academic. And yet I managed still, after all of my struggle, at the age of 27, almost 27, I graduated with a degree in engineering. It took me five and a half years to get that degree because I was so far behind from the, my experience in, in high school, but I got it. But when I got out of school, having graduated with honors, having gotten some, some uh, scholarships and that sort of thing along the line, it was still like, I'm not sure, but that they're really going to find out about me. Have you ever felt that way? I've got these certificates hanging on the wall, but gee whiz, they may really find out about me, and I'm not sure that I can risk that. I went to my first job, and, well, actually, my first job was working in a mining company. I didn't like that, so I decided to go into research. So I went to Los Alamos National Laboratory, and I, well, and I went back to graduate school. But after I got back from graduate school, I realized what trouble I was really in. 
because one day I woke up, I was given a program to work in, and I was to do research as well as some other service work, and I realized that I didn't have any original ideas. And the thought occurred to me, how do you get an idea? They're really going to find out about me now. There's certain things I could do to satisfy them for a while. How do you get an idea? You see, this was the first indication that I had that perhaps I was not as spontaneous and creative as I would like to have been. Well, I knew that. I know what it's like to be at that particular place where you feel inhibited creatively. And a lot of it is fear. A lot of it is a lack of belief in oneself. A lot of it is just plain habit that you get into after a while. And yet the fact of the matter is, is everyone has innate within the ability and the potential to express something very special about who you are. We are creative human beings. So what do we mean by creativity? Well, I went to the dictionary, as I often do, and I looked up creativity. And wow, this is just one page of a lot of stuff that I got on creativity. Uh, different definitions from people that come from medicine, from science, from literature, from politics, from all of these different areas, and they all have just a little bit different idea or express a little bit different idea about creativity always related to what they're doing. The artist seems to see it in one way, the engineer sees it in a little bit different way. And, but I like the old common definition that appears in the dictionary. It says this, Creativity is marked by the ability or power to create, to bring into existence, to invest with a new form, to produce through imagination skill, to make or bring into existence something new. And that's a mouthful, isn't it? But I like that last little clause there, to bring into existence, to make or bring into existence something new. And then I came up with my own definition. My own de definition is three words, well, with a conjunction in there. It says, creativity is artistic or intellectual inventiveness. And that kind of covers it for me. There's been a lot of research done on this, and there will be continue to be a lot of research on this idea of creativity. It's because it's so basic with all of us, because there's something within every one of us seeking to be expressed. It's like it's pounding on the doors of our consciousness to get out there in our lives and expressed in the world, not to impress the troops, but because it's what we have to do. Express means to press outward. And that is getting who you are into action. Getting who you are activated so you're doing what you're here to do. A lot of research has been done on this, and I came across uh, one compilation that talks about some of the characteristics that creative people seem to have. 
Now remember the creative people I'm talking about are not just artists. My wife is an artist and she tends to think of being creative in terms of her art. I'm basically an engineer or a metaphysician and I tend to think of creativity in terms of my being able to, to handle certain kinds of abstract concepts or metaphysical concepts and all. And you think of it in your own way. But once again, it's artistic or intellectual inventiveness. But a lot of research has been done on this and various characteristics have been identified. And here's some that I just want to quickly go over. Number one is creative people tend to have a concern for aesthetics. Number two, they tend to love problems. And also, they challenge assumptions. Another one is that they tend to be honestly objective in their testing of ideas. That's four of these basic characteristics. Another one is this. They work at the limit of their competency. At the limit of their competence, I guess is a better way of putting that. Think about that a moment. And then finally, they tend to be motivated from within and whatever they're doing in life. And they don't lose track of where they're starting from. Now, I want to look at these one at a time very briefly. That's a lot to consider, so we're not going to have a discourse on each one. But to see what they might tell us, let's look at this first one, that creative people tend to have a concern or appreciation for the aesthetics of things. Now, what do we mean by that? Is that they see and they feel, they get a charge out of seeing, recognizing, and experiencing the innate order and harmony and symmetry within whatever the system is they are dealing. And every one of us has experienced something of this sort, just like a mountaintop experience. Have you ever looked at a beautiful sunset and you felt all of a sudden a rush of energy just go over you and there's no way that you can actually describe this? It is an aesthetic impression that you get and you feel a sense of joy. And this is something that you often find in really creative people. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention that there were six different characteristics I talked about earlier. You can have, or there can be somebody that demonstrates every one of this, one of these, and they're still not very creative. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? That is, they're still not intellectually or artistically very inventive. But the chances are they'll be able to move into that spontaneity a whole lot easier than a lot of people who are locked in and don't have some of these appreciations or these inclinations. This aesthetics gives rise sometimes almost to what you might call an obsessive desire for taking the chaos and the confusion of life and reducing it down to some form within which they can find the beauty. The beauty that is intrinsic there. The, the businessman, for instance, he may get an aesthetic rush out of seeing efficiency and effectiveness within the systems that he or she has put together in order to be able to do a project or run a particular organization or company or department or whatever. The mystic might feel this aestheticism 
simply from the experience of the inner harmony and balance that is experienced through a deep meditative process. And this doesn't mean you can't be doing all of these things. The, the engineer or the scientist, you know, they, they might find something really, really special in just doing a particular experiment. And let me give you an example. When I was in graduate school, I had to find a thesis project. I was going through my agnostic atheistic stage. I wasn't sure which I was, and I really didn't care that much. But I had to find a, a thesis project, and my, my advisor, who happened to be a friend of mine, I had worked with him in Los Alamos, and then he was a professor at the University of Arizona, he said, Richard, you just, you just find what you want, and I'll probably improve it, and we'll, uh, you can go ahead with that. Well, I dabbled around. I wish he had just given me a project. It would have been easier. But no, I had to use my own creativity to find one. And so I decided I was going to do some research for my thesis on the deformation damage to single crystals. I know you really wanted to know that, but I, so to do this, I grew some crystals, a, a zinc crystal. It's real easy to do. And then I, I cleaved them into little thin wafers. And to do the deformation, these were perfect crystals. You know, I examined them by x-ray, see the perfect pattern, no distortion in them. And then the way I created a, a deformation within them or distortion within them, I took a glass bead dropped it through a tube right on top of it, and I controlled this different distances and so forth, right on top of this little single crystal wafer. And then I'd measure it again, and I'd see the distortion in it. Oh, that's nice. Well, I can demonstrate this. Just tiny, tiny little bit of, of interruption. And, but the interesting thing about this that really gave me a whole new perspective on life was that when I would take that little crystal, Give it a little bit of energy by annealing it, putting it in a furnace, furnace, not even taking it close to the, to the melting point, but just heating it up a little bit and take it out and examine it. All the deformation, all the distortion was gone. And I looked at that, and all of a sudden I saw behind this an intelligence. An intelligence within the universe that expresses itself in a way that is natural for it doing what it does to restore that. Not God out there someplace saying, okay, you've done it right, so I'm going to heal this. But instead, this is just the way it is. But behind all that to me was the implication of a grand intelligence. And the extrapolation of that idea gave to me a whole new insight to healing itself. We in life get bent out of shape. Don't we? We can have a spiritual annealing, if you will, or healing by giving ourselves a little bit of energy, and that energy is in the form of spiritual energy. And all we have to do is learn how to turn on the furnace, if you will, and heat it up, heat ourselves up spiritually. And this is when, so oftentimes I've had people say, well, you know, you, were, you consider yourself to have been an atheist at one time. Where did you make the shift? And I says, well, I discovered God in the laboratory. And it's, that's pretty close to the truth for me. Anyway, this is the idea of aesthetics. And I spent a whole lot more time on that one than I am on these others. But it, it was very, very important for me. And I think it illustrates some, some significant points. Creative people tend to really like problems. You see, problems arise as a result of change. 
And change is natural. And yet we see change often because change means something different and something different may be that invoke within us a dislike. We don't want it to be different. So that becomes a problem. But really creative people look at problems and they see this as opportunities for understanding something more deeply perhaps than they did before. And it gets to be fun for them to work on a problem. You see, it's everything is in, is, is in kind of an evolutionary process. Life itself is an evolutionary process. You know, we weren't just created and left alone to be the way we are henceforth for all eternity. We are continually transforming. We are continually evolving. And it is the inclination of life, that is God, through nature, in life, or in life through nature. Either way works, doesn't it? To express, spirit expresses itself according to its own design. And we are part of that. And we tend to resist that because we don't like to change. This gives rise to problems. And we, of course, certainly don't want to have problems in our life. We would like things to stay the same so that we can be bored. And then we're going to create a problem so we're no longer bored anyway. So it's funny the way we're built, isn't it? But we are in a constant unfolding process. And what we learn out of dealing with change, almost welcoming change, is that we can trust in this whole process of life. Isn't that wonderful? We can trust in the process of life. Likened to this idea of loving problems is the challenge that creative people seem to see in the assumptions they, of life. They challenge their assumptions. Now, that is what the science of mind is all about. You know, most of us, or many of us, have come from a particular discipline, and I'm not here to criticize the other disciplines. They serve in wonderful ways. <laughs> Influenced the whole world. But we've come from disciplines wherein we have been taught to believe in or encouraged to believe in opposites like good and bad, the devil and God, as entities unto themselves, heaven and hell, demons and so forth, sin and salvation and all of this. We don't believe in any of that. We don't deny that there is evil. We don't deny that there is pain. But we deny that those are independent entities in themselves. Instead, we look at it from the standpoint of all there is is God to begin with. So everything that is a reflection of that must be good. Even that which appears to be bad to us is a result of good principles expressing themselves. And this is what I mean by us challenging. We're constantly challenging ideas. Ernest Holmes made the comment that we are an open book teaching. We're an open at the top teaching. And by the way, he also has a corollary comment to that where he says, we are open at the top, but we're not so open at the top that our brains fall out. Okay? So this means we pay attention in the process, but we're willing to challenge virtually any idea that comes up. Now, let me give you an example of this. A number of years ago, I wrote a little 
about 10 years ago, I wrote a little article that went on to our ministers listserv. There's several hundred ministers that subscribe to this listserv. And in it, I was just, I was at one of those points where I felt a little bit annoyed and I wanted to give my, my uh, opinion about something. And uh, it was this. Around the idea that we have in the science of mind that the law will obey us. The law is an obedient servant that will obey us. What we put into it, it must respond and give back to us accordingly. And I said, no, that's nonsense. But Ernest Holmes said this. So we had a little conversation going on, and finally I wrote this little article. And basically what I was saying was that the law of gravity does not obey us. We learn what it does and how to use it. And then we cooperate with it, and we can do wonderful things in that process. And that, I think, is the way that law works. It shall be done unto you as you believe. And people say, well, that's an absolute law. Well, therefore, then, I believe the earth is flat. If I believe strongly enough, it's going to be flat. And I said, no, that is not only erroneous, it's stupid. <laughs> because the universe cannot break its own principle its own law. Do you understand what I'm saying? The laws of the universe, of God, if you will, and God is the spontaneous loving presence that is very personal to us, is really one thing operating from different levels of functioning. And God cannot break God's own law. And that's, of course, a big argument because a lot of people want to keep God way out there someplace. Omnipotent can do anything, can change anything, can make anything happen and whatever. But God cannot break his, God's own rules. Um, and so this is where this whole business of challenge comes up. Um, and it's tough sometimes. I, I was not going to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a little example of something that happened to me a number of years ago. I, um, I underwent a performance review, and my, my boss wrote it all up, called me in, sat down with me, and gave me a copy of it. And it was not what I would call the best performance review that I've ever gotten. He extolled my virtues and all that I was doing and so on and so forth. And then basically he said... This guy gets so locked into doing things a certain way that he may miss the implications of a significant result that he gets by, and not follow it up. And I thought, holy mackerel. And you see, I could have gone away and cried over that, which I kind of did. I sure griped a lot about it, the friend of mine and another couple of friends. And they were all in my favor of confronting him and all. But I also went away and I thought about it a little while. And what occurred to me was that, what if he's right? See, I was challenging my own assumption about my, myself of having to be right. And I sat back and I looked at it and I realized how right he was and how I tend to grab hold of something and tenaciously hold on to it 
or a way of doing something and all you have to do is ask my wife, she will tell you that not much has changed. But that's not true. You should have seen me before I knew you. <laughs> but you see, I could never have done this unless I was willing to be honest and open and challenge myself. And that's what it takes. It takes honesty. And it takes a sense of lovingness, that is to be loved. I had a friend of mine who was a workshop facilitator and a great business consultant. She made a con comment in a um, process that she did one time that I attended. She says, truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. You want to bring these together. Love, truth, honesty. Creative people tend to test their ideas. One of the greatest examples of this that I know of is a fellow named Buckminster Fuller. Some of, Fuller, some of you may have heard of him. He died back in the um, middle 1980s, just a few weeks before I and several other people were scheduled to meet him. Buckminster Fuller, world-renowned scientist, engineer, architect, businessman, philosopher, you name it. He hobnobbed kings and queens and ministers and prime ministers and presidents and artists and scientists and whomever. He, he was an incredible man. And uh, he was a child prodigy type, very, very bright. And they prepared him to go, go on and everybody expecting him to make a, a great contribution to the world. But when he got out of college at a very early age, and he was grown, brought up in a family where they really believed in basic principles, primary of which was the golden rule, it shall be done unto you as, no, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this was a rule that was pounded into him, and he got so discouraged when he went out to work in the business world after he had graduated college that he wasn't sure that he wanted to continue this life. And he went down and he sat on the shore of the of Lake Michigan outside of Chicago there, contemplating whether or not to just swim out as far as he could go until he was totally exhausted and would not be able to make it back. And he thought and he thought and he thought about it. And he finally, he decided, no. He says, I have lived my life by this principle. I'm going to use my life as a test of that principle. Now think about that. That was his test. He went into a year-long self-imposed silence. And when he, just thinking and meditating and contemplating, and when he came out of that silence, when he chose to come out of that silence, he was a different person, and the rest is history. Made incredible, you know, the geodesic dome is his design, and, and on and on and on, architecturally as well as scientifically and, and politically. Did, did wonderful, wonderful things. But he made a test of his life, of the principles of his life, and you see, it takes courage to test something of this sort. Not to just tweak it a little bit. Not to just play around it, but to test it in the refining fires of life. Creative people tend to work at the limit of their competence. They're out on the leading edge. They're willing to 
give it a try and give it everything that they possibly can. And many of us hold back. Many of us tend to, and I in the past, had been a hoarder. And I can remember a time when I, uh, and, I and I mentioned the idea of having difficulty getting an idea as well. I remember one time when I was really concerned with this because I was responsible for this area of research and, and I felt so impotent in that area. And one day I did get an idea. And I thought, oh! This is a great idea. So I decided right then, because I may never get another idea, I'm going to take this one, I'm going to hold on to it, I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. Maybe I could make it last for the next 30 years till I retire or whatever, but I have an idea. And then I realized how absurd that was somewhere along the line, and I figured, the heck with it. I'm going to use it for all it's worth. I am not going to do anything to inhibit the expression of this idea and just see if it'll even work out and do anything for me. And you know the amazing thing that happened? Was that the moment I did that, it was like ideas just flooded into my mind so many that I had to keep a notebook that I called it my idea book. And it, it kind of reminds me of that quotation I gave you last week from... Um, Maya Angelou, where she was talking along similar lines and, 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 and said something that the more you use it, the more you have to use. There's something about activating the creativity within you by just doing it and doing it and doing it. The minute you begin to give it everything you possibly can, you'll find more doors open. And then you're at such a place sometimes of confusion because you're not quite sure which are the wonderful ideas to choose in order to take the next step. But you choose one and you trust and you trust and you trust. God provides you with whatever it is that you need in order to be able to fulfill yourself according to your own design within the overall, overall scheme of things. And the final one of these characteristics that I want to talk about, oh, yeah, Maybe I'll tell this later. But it's the, it, it is the, uh, what I call one of the real keys. And that is, people who express a lot of creativity in their life tend to be motivated from within. Not motivated from the results that they um, expect to get. Now, and there's a big difference. And many of us have allowed ourselves to be motivated externally. I mean, how many of I, I don't want to show of hands, this is rhetorical, but how many of us have been in sales one way or the other? And almost every one of us has, if we really look at our lives. And we've been to sales meetings. And you know, at sales meetings, you get somebody razzle-dazzle up there that's really good. They're a motivational speaker. The motivational sales manager, he pumps you up and you go out and you sell like the dickens and then you run out of gas. And next week you have your, your motivational meeting again and it goes on and on and on. And... But the people that are really, really successful and really creative in life, they're motivated by something within them. It doesn't depend on that that goes on out there. I'm not saying that that kind of outward motivation cannot be important. It can trigger something within you. But then it becomes yours. And when it becomes yours, that's the level from which you are motivated. And you see, every one of us 
has a place within the scheme of things. Every one of us has something within or a whole skill set, a whole bag of tricks that is ours. We have a pattern within the overall pattern of this universal existence. And it is for us to discover, to develop, and to express that. I want to read something to you in closing that comes out of a, uh, a wonderful little book that's out of print now by Ernest Holmes called Good For You. That's the name of the book. And he says this, Each of us is what we are because that is what God is in us. The good and the just and the wise have all told us to listen deeply to the self, to be true to the self, to trust the self, to come to the self, to find God, for that is what God is. Every living soul spends his entire time trying to discover what God made him to be. The great search is ended when we find that what we are looking for is what we are looking with. Think about that. Let's come to center now, shall we? And be reminded that there is a power and a presence in the universe. It is all pervasive. And in that realization, I know that it is within me, as it is within everyone here. For there is one life. We call that life God. That life is perfect. That life is unlimited. And that life is my life right now. As I contemplate this and just rest within that idea that God is all there is and I am one with all that is, I know that I am one with the harmony and the balance and the joy and the love and the abundance and the goodness, the intelligence and the creativity. Wow! I am not only one with that, but that is what I am. And as I look for that, I realize I'm looking with that. What an incredible idea. It is in this realization that healing takes place. Healing of the body, healing of the mind, healing of the circumstances of life, healing of the relationship difficulties. How can there be a relationship difficulty when we are all one with the same thing and therefore one with each other? And in a sense, each of us is each other. I am one with you, you are one with we, me, and we are one together. Mother, Father, loving God, I am so grateful for the realization of this truth. I revel in it. I know that it is so. I accept that it is so. And together we can declare, and so it is.